1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 2. This morning we want to look at understanding the gospel. While dealing with the many struggles that were present in Corinth, Paul began with the fundamentals. He was well aware that the church needed a solid foundation upon which to build, and he knew the gospel of Jesus Christ was the centerpiece of the church and its mission. Paul told us in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And apart from a personal relationship with Christ, obtained through receiving the gospel by faith, one has no part of the body of Christ. And Paul was well aware of the significance and the universal importance of the gospel. The church in Corinth could accomplish many things, but if in their lives, if their lives and their work were not founded upon the gospel, it would profit little and result in emptiness or vanity. And the same is true in our day. Now I realize the Bible offers a much needed instruction for spiritual growth and nurturing a sanctified life. And we need not minimize these passages, but we must ensure that we develop a solid foundation upon which to build. You know, one cannot grow spiritually and live in a way that pleases the Lord apart from salvation. The gospel, again, is the centerpiece, the ultimate message of the church. And we have considered various aspects of the gospel in recent weeks, and we continue to do so today. Now, in the text, emphasize, Paul emphasizes the wisdom associated with the gospel. And although it's very significant, it's not really hard to explain. The gospel is simply the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ for salvation of humanity. And that seems easy enough to understand, but there are many who seem to struggle with receiving it. And it continues on today. And if you're here this morning and unsure, I hope today's message will provide the insight you need to embrace the gospel. I want us to consider Paul's observations as we think on understanding the gospel. Notice first the relevance of the gospel. We see this in verses 6 and 7, and, and Paul discusses here the relevance of the gospel and its significance in the lives of those who believe. Notice, first of all, the proclamation. Verse 6 says, How be it we speak wisdom among them that are perfect. As we have already noted, uh, Paul makes no apology for sharing the gospel. In fact, he is committed to sharing it to all who will hear, regardless of where he or she is or whose presence they're in uh, or whose presence he, Paul, is in. Uh, he knew the impact that it had on his life. Uh, he was determined to pre present it to all who he could. And notice to whom Paul spoke this wisdom, this spiritual wisdom. He said, unto among them that are perfect, now that speaks of the believer who has embraced the gospel as truth. Those who are willing to acknowledge the great sacrifice that Jesus Christ 
made on behalf of sinners, dying in their place, arising triumphantly from the grave. You may be thinking, well, nobody is perfect except God. And that's true. The word perfect here is a word which means complete. Completeness or a full age or we would say mature. It doesn't imply that we live above sin, but those who have embraced the gospel are mature in their faith and they're settled in what they believe, regardless of the opinions or the doctrines of others. So there's the proclamation. Paul spoke. He says, uh, Howbeit we speak wisdom. We proclaim it. Secondly, the preeminence. In verse 6, he says, Yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world, that have come to naught. Paul confirms there is a significant difference in the wisdom of God concerning the gospel and the wisdom of this world, as well as that, uh, uh, that embraced and promoted by a prom- that's what's prominent in a society. The wisdom of men that they possess in this world will not last. It will prove unreliable. It will fail to produce acceptance to God and a life eternal. Many in Paul's days chose to embrace the wisdom of the world. And it would come to naught in their lives. It might provide a temporary satisfaction, but it would not meet the great spiritual need that all men have. 1 Corinthians 1, you go back there and you look at verse 18. It says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. And so the wisdom of this world is not going to make it. And uh, it's going to be, the gospel is going to be declared as foolishness, preaching the gospel. But notice then, thirdly, the perception of, In verse 7, he says, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Now he speaks of the wisdom of God being a mystery, a wisdom that is hidden. Now he does not imply that the wisdom of God cannot be received or is something that's so strange and puzzling that we will never understand it, but he's referring to the ability to comprehend God's wisdom, the wisdom of the gospel. Now, he's going to address this in some later verses here, but this simply speaks of the need for spiritual discernment to comprehend the wisdom of God. The natural man has no desire for the things of God. He cares nothing for the wisdom of God, and such wisdom is kept in secret for those who know the Lord and desire to learn of Him. Now, you remember that those who lived prior to the cross and the resurrection, the wisdom of the gospel was revealed only in types or what we call pictures or shadows. And for many, it remained a mystery. Now, we enjoy the full benefit of the full uh, revelation of God. We have a completed Bible. Uh, We're presented with the complete picture. And we're able to see more clearly as the mystery has been revealed. And yet, even though the gospel has been fully revealed, not all men will be willing to embrace it. The eyes of our spiritual understanding have not been opened, and the gospel remains a mystery uh, to those who have not trusted Christ. 
Now, one needs the Holy Spirit to open his understanding in order to comprehend the mystery of the gospel. Otherwise, it will remain foolishness and it will be rejected. It will be thought to be a myth or a fable. Notice, fourthly, the provision. Verse 7 again. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Here Paul is speaking of the great provision God made for us through the giving of His Son as a sacrifice for sin. And God knew long before He ever created Adam out of the dust of the earth that He would fall into sin and would need a Savior. God also knew that the only perfect sacrifice that would atone for sin and humanity would be the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this would require the offering of His Son. And so we must understand the plan of the gospel and the salvation of men was not an afterthought with God. He didn't say one day, he said, oh, you guys sinned. i got to come up with some way to cure that. No, he had already thought of that. Prior to man's initial sin, subsequent fall of the human race, God had a plan. Long before he ever designed creation, God already made a provision for the redemption of humanity. Long before we we needed the wisdom of such a sacrifice, God had intended the offering of Christ for our sin and our enlightenment to the gospel. That brings us to the purpose. In verse 7, he says, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Now that doesn't imply that uh, through our reception of the gospel, we share some of the glory of God. No, His glory is reserved for Him alone. But it does reveal the purpose of the gospel. God intended the death of the Son for the saving of humanity. The life we live upon this earth is but a small part of our eternal eternal existence. God desired that mankind would have fellowship with Him forever. This is not possible within a body of flesh that's prone to sin. There has to be some kind of a transformation. Now, in salvation, we're promised acceptance to God. We're promised eternal life in His glorious presence. And so by faith in Christ, we are placed into the family of God as heirs of eternal promise. We lay aside these bodies of flesh that are prone to sin, and one day we put on a new glorified body in the presence of our Lord. Romans 8, verse 18 says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory of which shall be revealed in us. And so God made a provision for our salvation. He revealed the mystery of the gospel and for a purpose, our salvation. So we have the relevance. It's relevant. It's relevant, uh, was relevant to the Corinthians. It's relevant to us today, to our society. But yet there is the refusal of the gospel. Verse 8 which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Here uh, he speaks of the great significance and relevance of the gospel and refers to those who refuse it, those who reject the gospel. And so first of all, he speaks of their ignorance, which none of the princes of this world knew. Now the princes of this world Those who held positions of prominence and influence and authority knew nothing of the plans of God or the saving grace of Jesus Christ the Lord. 
These were surrounded by those who they deemed worthy. And so the ruling figures had courts comprised of, of men perceived as wise to guide their plans and their decisions. They lacked nothing in regard to material possessions. And for the most part, they were the epitome of success. And the average person longed to be in their place. And with all that they possessed, having access to everything imaginable, they lacked the matter of most importance, the wisdom of God that leads to salvation. They cared little for the things of God and most never obtained godly wisdom. Now let me give you an example, a very up-to-date, relevant example. I recently read an article about what took place in the opening ceremony of the Olympics. By the way, I have watched very little of the Olympics, and it was only by mistake that I do watch it. But the article said, in part, the Olympics opening ceremonies in Tokyo featured one of the worst pop songs of all time. Yes, I'm speaking of John Lennon's Imagine, sung by a large children's choir and a bevy of celebrities. And then the author quoted some of the lyrics from that song, and he said, consider the opening verse. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us. Above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will live as one. Another verse says, imagine no possessions. I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger, a brotherhood of man. Imagine all the world sharing all the world. Well, the author went on to say, he said, I frankly can't imagine anything worse. To say that there's no heaven... There's no hell, is to say that there is no absolute criteria for good and evil. No way of meaningful, de meaningfully determining the difference between right and wrong. No standard outside of the subjective activities of each moral actor by which to say any one agent is better than any other. And the influence and desires of popular culture have not faded in our time. Our society is influenced and largely driven by those in places of power and fame and prestige. I'm also afraid that many Christians have been influenced by the foolishness of the world. I, could, I just gave you this example of foolishness in a rock and roll group. You remember who John Lennon was? Some of you older folks do. From the famous Beatles. Some of the young kids probably don't know too much about the Beatles, but they, uh, the older ones should know. And you might say, oh, they're a thing of the past. Well, not so much that they would use one of his songs in the opening of the Olympics. Yes, their influence continues on, and it continues on in Christianity today, what we might call Christianity, in what is called contemporary Christian music that's being listened to by undiscerning Christians today. The contemporary Christian musicians, Keith and Kristen Getty, are very popular in many churches today, including independent Baptist churches. And I would, not, I would say they're not popular here. If I can do anything to keep them from being popular, I'll do all I can. But these people openly admit they have been influenced by the Beatles. And I 
could read you quote after quote after quote of other Christian, uh, co contemporary Christian music, musicians who would say the very same thing. Now, my purpose today is not to give you a message about the dangers of contemporary Christian music, but I use this as an example of how the average person seeks to obtain the position these have, never realizing their complete lack and utter ignorance. A Christian will never be embraced by society. The only reason CCM is being widely accepted today is because either people are immature believers or they're not believers at all. And here's just a by the way, okay? This is going to be free. In your King James Bible, the word imagination is used 14 times. And in every one of those times, it points to the wickedness and the evil of an unregenerate human heart. Now, I wonder if John Lennon knew that when he wrote the anti-God atheist national anthem, Imagine. And it's interesting enough that the NIV Bible removes all 14 instances of the word imagination providing only two spots with the word imagination that don't match the King James Bible, and floundering in watered-down meaninglessness. The faithful to God will never be revered as role models of the masses. I'm not looking for fame. And we won't ever get it if we continue to preach the gospel. We continue to preach the Bible. Every believer will be ostracized, rejected, and they possess something this world doesn't offer and it cannot take away. We may never have our name in lights or on a marquee or enjoy familiarity in average homes, but we can rest in the fact that our names are known in heaven. Their ignorance. Secondly, their injustice. In verse 8, it goes on to say, For they, had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Paul speaks of the great injustice committed as Christ was condemned and crucified for crimes he had not committed. Those who cast their voices against him would not have done so had they known the wisdom of God that leads to salvation. Had they recognized Jesus as the Christ, they would have embraced him rather than consenting to his horrid death on the cross. Their lack of wisdom blinded their eyes to the truth. Now, things haven't changed much, and yet they remain very much the same. Jesus will never be crucified again, but a lack of wisdom among the masses causes their rejection of Christ and his saving grace. You know, the majority of the world will never realize the great sacrifice Jesus made on our behalf. They refuse to acknowledge their need of salvation or even look to Christ by faith. If these only possess the wisdom of God, understanding the mystery of the gospel, they would submit to the authority of Christ, they would repent of sin, and they would be saved by faith in his finished work. Now, how are they going to know about it? Well, Hasn't the Lord told us, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel? Notice, thirdly, the radiance of the gospel. Verse 9. 
Having argued the importance of the gospel, Paul now declares the glorious radiance of it and what it possesses and the great benefit it provides. Notice, first of all, the majesty. Verse 9. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Even though they, many have embraced the gospel, many have been enlightened to the plan and the purposes of God, none can properly comprehend the magnitude of its majesty. He said here, eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, thoughts have not been entered into the heart of man in relation to all that God is and what we have received in him. It's kind of like the Queen of Sheba that we talked about in Sunday school. The half has not been told. The grace of God brings salvation and the great provision that has been made for all the saved is beyond their ability to grasp. Childlike faith is all that's required to receive Christ, and I am convinced that a childlike understanding of the magnitude of such a gift is all that we will comprehend in this life. God's love and provision for us is greater than anything we can envision or understand, and we will not know fully until we stand in His presence in heaven. The majesty. But notice also the measure Paul declares that there is no way we can begin to envision all that God has prepared for those that love Him. Our feeble minds haven't even scratched the surface of the abundance that we as believers have in Christ. We'll never reach the depths of God's great love and the provision for, the, for us as His saved, as saved uh, children of God. His works in abundance are limitless. What does Philippians 4.19 say? But my God shall supply all your need according to what? His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And verse 9 is a verse we often hear. I hath not hear, nor ear heard, and so forth. We often hear this read at funerals and memorial services. And it's quite fitting for those occasions. But we will experience much more than we ever dreamed when we enter in the eternal presence of our Lord and Savior. And yet, we must consider this verse within its context. He's not preaching a funeral message here. In the context, and we would do uh, it no injustice by looking at it in the possible future, but it isn't just re reserved for that time. It's not just reserved for something off in the distance, something in, in heaven. Listen, God has far more in store for us right now than we can even comprehend. Right now. We will never exhaust the vastness of His grace, His mercy, and His love, and His provision for us. We don't have to wait until we get to heaven to enjoy the blessings of God. We can enjoy them right now. I'm reminded of the great love of God that He had for us and the provision that he, he made prior to the creation of the world or mankind. We are loved beyond measure, long before our existence. And surely we can depend upon the One who loved us so much and provided the means of our salvation. We will never encounter a need that He cannot supply. 
I'm so thankful the Holy Spirit opened my understanding to the gospel. And I was given an opportunity to respond by faith. I still can't fully grasp that I've received what I've received in Christ, but I'm thankful for His saving grace. And I'm resting this morning in His finished work. I trust you are as well. Have you received the wisdom of God that leads to salvation? Are you willing to respond to that by faith and be saved if you haven't? If you haven't trusted Christ by faith, don't be one of those of this world that reject His provision for you. Christ died so that you might be forgiven and live. And you can receive that gift of salvation today. And it's not just reserved for heaven. The blessings of God can be enjoyed even right now. Let's pray.